and there was a sign. Yeah, there was a sign. This is one of the one of my first American experiences that said you cannot bring your gun to the mall. And and it was shocking to me that people had to be told this, mm-hmm. right? Because as a European, like we don't have guns at all. And if we did have one, we would not take it to the mall. Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments on Relay FM. I'm your host, Aline Sims. And Kate, I did not ask you how to pronounce your name properly. Kate, how do I say your name? Uh, Houston is fine. So I'm joined today by Kate Houston. Kate, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, who are you, Kate? That's a very difficult question. Um, Yeah, and so by day, Director of Engineering of Mobile Engineering at Ride. Um, By kind of not day, I co-curate Technically Speaking with Chuki. Um, uh, I'm an advisor at Glowforge, which is really cool. And uh, I have my own little side projects too. I released an app towards the end of last year, which is like an image processing app. So let's actually talk with, talk about technically speaking first, because I have actually been a subscriber since you had a pre-subscription list. So will you tell people about technically speaking what that is? Um, so one that's amazing, and I would love to send you a technically speaking t-shirt if you would like one or stickers if you sure. prefer. It. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, so technically speaking is a newsletter about public speaking in tech. Um, and so... I just, like every week we send out um, a newsletter. It's kind of like your mentor in your inbox. That's kind of like you have something to say and here's where you might say it. And here's some resources that might help you. So each week we send out two to three CFPs, normally five kind of useful links from around the internet that we found that, you know, we think are relevant and then one piece of inspiration. I love it's uh, I don't actually subscribe to many newsletters and I I super love technically speaking just because it's um, one, it's a reminder that um, I think voices are needed, like voices are always needed. And I think that's so important. And then, you know, like like the interesting articles and that kind of thing are um, are really nice to have because I don't really seek that kind of information myself. Yeah, um, we also have like a secret feminist agenda, uh, which has got progressively less secret as time went on. (laughs) Will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we decided at the beginning, like one thing I think that Juki and I did really well as a collaboration is that we agreed our values up front. So we're very like different in a lot of ways, but we have similar values in general. And especially when it comes to technically speaking, we have like the values that we want to operate by and we're agreed on them. So it means that we don't have, like we might come with an idea or we might come with a, this is something we're worried about and we can always go back to these values and be like, okay, well, how do they drive here? So um, the first is that we believe that conferences should cover speaker travel costs. So we always highlight that, we prioritize that in which CFPs we include. Um, We believe that all conferences should have a code of conduct. So we only include conferences with a code of conduct. Um, And we can talk about some of the consequences of that uh, later if you want. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It's something very near and dear to my heart. So I'd love to discuss that more. Yeah. And so we decided from the beginning that we would include at least 50% content from women. 
We also actively look to highlight content from other underrepresented groups in tech. We don't track that or like have any kind of goal for that because it starts to get really creepy, you know, Mm -hmm. like go to someone's Twitter profile and be like, well, are you? Um, But it's something that we actively look for. And I think we do a reasonable job at surfacing that. So how, hmm, there are about four directions I want to go and I'm trying to decide which (laughs) which one to pick. So let's actually, before we get into codes of conduct, why don't we talk a little bit about how um, how you decided that these were your top priorities when you started started the newsletter? So Chiki and I were in Copenhagen. And um, we were in Copenhagen because we were both speaking in Sweden at um, Ordev. And we were both speaking at Ordev because I had had dinner with Chiki when I was in California. And I was like, yeah, I think I want to leave Google. And I figure I should maybe start raising my profile. And like, you seem to speak at a lot of places. And like, can you maybe make some suggestions? And I had got like a little way by myself. Um, but like Chuki seemed to really have it figured out. And so Chuki started sending me CFPs and she sent me the order of one and she was like, you will apply to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, I will do as I'm told. And, <laughs> and yeah, so we were in, uh, we were in Copenhagen and I was like, you do such a great job of, you know, finding these CFPs and kind of figuring out where to go. And she was saying, you know, you like find this really interesting stuff that you share on Twitter. And it was like, huh what if we combine these two like skills into like one kind of and like scale up what we were already doing I think is the way I think about it right like I've like this year I'm thinking a lot and part of it's inspired by our success with technically speaking is like one-on-one is pretty limited in what you can do And so how do you scale that up further, right? Like you do a lot of great stuff with this podcast. I've been hearing about it for like a long time. And so I think we're technically speaking, I went to a conference September last year and there were like three women there who were like, yeah, I'm speaking because I saw it in the newsletter. And I'm Mm, like, this is amazing. That's got to be a great feeling. It's so good. And you know what? They were all awesome, right? And so kind of being able to scale what we were doing already. And we talked about how newsletters, do you know, I'd kind of just noticed that they were a thing, but I like, I deeply hate email. I can't deal with it. And now it's great because I have an admin assistant and I like a lot of my friends have kind of embraced the idea that they can send an email about me <laughs> and somebody reads it and deals with it. Um, and they've just accepted that that person was never going to be me anyway. Um, so, so we're kind of like, okay, maybe a newsletter to like kind of format for this. Cause I think we've seen a lot of things, especially around kind of improving diversity in public speaking. Um, and they're just like static websites and they, they just fade away. Like they don't keep getting updated and eventually they stop working. Um, ha- you know, people aren't prompted to come back to them. Mm-hmm. And so email seemed like the right format for what we wanted to do. And RSS is still tricky I like RSS seems to be going away to be honest people are like more and more Twitter but Twitter is a little bit ephemeral yep yeah that's hard and yeah so if you miss it at the time you know and this like newsletters I have like a second newsletter now (laughs) which is ridiculous because I hate emails you're just all all newsletters all the time um and I think for certain formats it's the right format and this was one of them because we want to like 
even if people don't read every issue, like I figure they get a reminder every week that they have something to share and that there are people who would be really lucky to hear it. I love that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I love that. I've I've been talking a lot on the show lately about wanting to to start going out and speaking. Um, and I, I gave a talk um, last June, I guess, and I haven't done any public speaking since then. But it's kind of like one of those things that I really need to challenge myself to do this year. Um, so I definitely know where I'm going to go to start learning about, um, learning about places where I can give talks, even though like I'm not a technical talk person, but, um, it's, it's just, it's an amazing resource to have. I have everything in my archive so I can go back through the archive. Like I'm not deleting any of them. So I know I can search the from, you know, search for who it's <laughs> from and like, just like go back and read them all. And I'm really grateful that I kind of got in on the ground floor and have all of those available <laughs> to me. Well, we made the archive public. Oh, nice. So you can, yeah. So you can always get it through that. Um, and one thing we've been meaning, we've like Chuki built it and we just haven't told anyone it exists um, <laughs> is that we she wrote something that extracts all the links that we've shared so that we can kind of make them searchable oh nice okay yeah and That's... you know what you would be amazing you would give an amazing talk because like I've heard your podcast and like you're clearly very thoughtful and there's a bunch of topics that you would have a very interesting perspective on even like just based on your podcast and I know you do a bunch of other things as well oh well thanks Blushing. I appreciate that. And um, so let's talk about codes of conduct because oh I'm bouncing. I have a standing desk and I'm bouncing right now as I'm talking to you because I should have liquor for this conversation. <laughs> and I, like, I like never drink. Right. But yeah. Oh, my God. Codes of conduct. Well, they are so. Oh, they're so oddly polarizing, which is a thing I don't understand. Um, because I'm very firmly in the code of conduct camp <laughs> and, um, and I don't know, I just, they're, they're con not, not only are they polarizing, they're controversial and it seems like a very cut and dry thing to me, but okay. Before we start in this, going down this path where we both maybe start ranting and break <laughs> out the liquor, why don't we talk a little bit about what codes of conduct are? Um, so a code of conduct is just like setting expectations around people's behavior, uh, it is a very normal thing. Um, I remember when, you know, I went to America for the first time because I'm not American. Um, and I went to the mall, in fact, the mall of America. And oh. there was a sign. Yeah, there was a sign. This is one of the one of my first American experiences that said you cannot bring your gun to the mall. And and it was shocking to me that people had to be told this, mm -hmm. right? Because as a European, like, we don't have guns at all. And if we did have one, we would not take it to the mall. Um, but, you know, okay, some people need to be told that it's not appropriate to take their gun to the mall. And also, apparently, the gym, right? People need to be told that, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, I personally don't need to be told not to take my gun right. to the mall. But, like, if some people need to know, like, of course, there's a sign there. So that seems fa fair enough. And a, a code of conduct is really just an extension of that. You know, it's saying this is the behavior we want in our community. This is the behavior that we don't want in our community. And it's defining, you know, I think it's kind of, I don't think a code of conduct is anywhere close to sufficient, mm -hmm. right? But it's like... It's the minimum. It's the minimum, exactly. It's bare, bare minimum. Yeah, I agree. It's the bare minimum. And I think, so at the start of last year, I was kind of 
in your camp where I was like, I don't understand why people are arguing about this. And now I'm at this point where I'm like, I think I do understand why people are arguing about this. And it is to me, like, there's a reason for it. The reason varies. The reason is normally an indication that it's in fact not someone who is committed to providing a safe space. Um, And so at this point, I'm kind of like, you know what? It's 2016. You should have a code of conduct. If you don't have a code of conduct, it is not my job to do this one-on-one education of you. Um, If there's plenty of information out there, there's plenty of good starting points. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I don't really want to know why that is not the case. Yep. I'm already pretty despondent about humanity, right? Like, it's just like... (laughs) I just don't want another nail in that coffin, right? I Yeah, I totally get that. And I think actually a really common reason um, is that it's often men organizing these conferences and one of their friends is a broken star and they know it. Interesting. So there's plenty of people that will talk good game about diversity, about inclusion, about how much they care about it. Um, But I think what's really hard is that, you know, there comes a point where you have to choose between your bro, who's never done anything to you, but maybe this one time he did something to this woman and this like abstract concept of an inclusive environment. Um, Why don't we talk a little bit about why codes of conduct are important? Because we talked about what they are, but we didn't say really why it's important to have them? I think for me, it's kind of like, am I welcome there or not? You know, I've, I've been, I've been in tech. Like I started writing code when I was 16 in high school, which is, you know, um, closer to stereotypical than I think a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And I'm 30 now. And for the last 14 years, I have spent a lot of time in environments where I was often the only woman and where I was told sometimes overtly um, and sometimes more subtly that I wasn't welcome. And so when there's a code of conduct, it's not like, it's not exactly a welcome sign, Mm -hmm. but it is something that is like, oh, you're not unwelcome here. It's kind of, um, I think what I find reassuring, I think is a, is a strong word. It's not, um, well, let me try to work through this and maybe you can help me. Um, it's not, I'm going to use reassuring in place of the word that I really mean that I don't know yet. Um, but it's like, if you have a code of conduct in place, you've at least put again, a bare minimum amount of thought into, the way people should be treated and what behaviors are and are not okay. Um, And a good code of conduct is going to have recourse written into it. So if, if this code of conduct is broken, then you're going to be ejected from the event, you know, or, or something, some kind of appropriate call to action in there. And so I know that ostensibly I should be able to, if something were to happen, I could go to an organizer or to a designated safe spot or a designated safe person and say, hey, this is what just happened and have something done about it. Right. I think it's about it's the communication that like you should have a reasonable expectation of safety. Right. 
And I, I feel like for women, we often don't have a reasonable expectation of safety. Um, you know, like we, I was having this whole conversation with this woman earlier about the difference between an implicit and an explicit threat, right? And I think we learn very young, like what is an implicit threat? Um, and that, you know, like a man will look at the same piece of writing and he will not read it as an implicit threat. Um, and, you know, I don't think like a code of conduct cannot change the world as it is, but I think it can say you should have a right to expect to be safe. And I think that's actually really important. Um, and I think as well for me, like as I've got like more like, I don't know, more like well known as like I go to conferences and I know a bunch of people there, like I'm not super worried about what would happen to me in the event of a guy behaving inappropriately. Like, I think I have the resources that I would be fine, but it is my worst nightmare that someone goes to see me speak or they go to an event because they read about it in technically speaking and something happens and it is not dealt with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and, and that's the thing, too, is like just because it's written down, like then the responsibility of the organizers is to make sure that that things happen as they're right. as they're written Exactly. And I think this is another thing that like, I wish we could do more of in technically speaking is that like, I don't think a code of conduct is enough. Right. And like, to be clear, if someone had a bad experience at an event and the organizers didn't deal with it appropriately and we heard about it, that event would never go in. Right. But like this, I mean, I can't, we can't run a background check on everyone, right? Like this is a side passion project. Um, it's also just so much stuff stays on the whisper network. How would we even know? But like, if we did know, then we would never include it. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, I don't know. It's tough. I know. I don't know. I know a lot of women who are like, and I've, I've been part of that whisper network where it's like, I know to avoid this person because they're maybe a little lewd and I know to avoid this person, you know, and it's, it's probably not stuff I would ever repeat to somebody because, you know, then you get retribution and that's, I mean, that's not okay. And I should maybe be more outspoken about things, but on the other hand, I've been taken into confidence and I can't break the confidence. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, you know what? Like, you shouldn't have to be more outspoken. Like, people should behave appropriately. Totally. Like, it is, it's not on you, this. It's like, I think, you know, sometimes we feel like we can say something, and sometimes we don't feel like we can say something. And, like, I'm never going to pass judgment on a woman who decides that she can't say something. Right? Like, this is, I mean, women don't report things at work to HR for the same kind of reasons, right? Because the retribution is awful. It is. You know, I like, I ended up reporting something to HR and it wasn't my choice to do it. It kind of, I got kind of pushed into it because someone found out and they had a legal obligation to report it. And so I had to speak to HR and like, it was like the single worst experience of my professional career. I would never, ever, ever go to HR again after that. I actually, um, my previous job, I had some offhanded like sexist remarks made in my general direction. And I actually found another job had accepted it and then informed HR. Well, I actually went to the CEO of the company and informed yeah. him of what had happened after I already like, you know, a week later after I had a job secured because I just didn't want to work there anymore. <laughs> like, and I was afraid, you know, if, 
if I go to somebody now and report what's happening now, then I'm just going to be, you know, the expletive in the office. And so I'm going to be treated really, really poorly if I do that. And, um, and then you've got like the judgment of the person that you're talking to. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a gross, gross, gross place to be. I think, so the thing, like this guy behaved inappropriately for like a really long time before anything happened. And the thing that stopped me from going to HR was that I wasn't like ready to lose the hope that they would actually do something. Mm. You know, like it was much more comforting to think, well, I could go to HR, but I've chosen not to. And so when that choice was like, firstly, that choice was taken from me. Um, And I was kind of forced to go to HR and I was like, well, I'm not going to protect him, you know, but like the HR experience was my worst nightmare. Like it was very victim blamey. Um, In the end, like nothing happened, you know, and, uh, and they actually, so around the same time I'd been on a plane and uh, the guy sitting next to me mistakenly thought I was part of the in-flight entertainment. And so I filed a police report in Germany and of course nothing happened to him either. Um, and so this happened whilst I was waiting for HR to do nothing. Oh. And so it was, it was really awful. This was just like an absolute low point for me. I'm so sorry. And, man, God, they were hit. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, and so the guy who had behaved inappropriately at work, he was going to this like internal training and my request was like, I don't want him to go because I won't feel safe if he's going. And, um, and HR like wouldn't do anything about that. Um, and actually what they ended up saying was, you probably don't want to get on a plane right now. Wow. So they used the fact that like this other guy <laughs> had like, you know, sexually assaulted me to kind of gaslight me into my reaction as to the other guy's inappropriate behavior. And like that, I mean, I think that's just, I think that's just disgusting. That's awful. Oh, I'm so sorry. I feel like I've totally derailed our conversation. No, I th- <laughs> no, these these are important conversations to have and important stories to tell though because um I I don't have statistics. I I don't know who's listening to the show um beyond like the feedback I get in email and Twitter. And um what I believe based upon that is that most of my listeners are um are straight cisgender white men not everybody but but a lot of them are straight cisgender white men and they don't see this kind of thing happening they just they I don't know if it's not happening in front of them or if they just don't notice it or what Mm -hmm. but they don't see these kinds of things happening and so when people speak up about it they're absolutely gobsmacked. And the reality is these types types of things happen all the time. I have a friend um, who was talking to me about how um, once like kind of Gamergate started really ramping up in the gaming industry and women were speaking out more, you know, women in tech were speaking out more about some of the harassment and adversity they'd faced. He had a conversation with his wife about like being catcalled and whether that was something that ever happened. He was like, because I've never seen it happen. And his wife said, well, of course you've never seen it happen because you're always with me. They don't yeah. catcall me when you're with me. They wait because until I'm alone. 
Right, because they view her as his property right. when she's with her. Right. I, I think a lot of like reasonably enlightened men just like, I mean, so one thing that, the thing about a misogynist is that when he's surrounded by men, he's just a man. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, there are some people, I have known some people who it's like very blatant, but <laughs> for the most part, yeah, it's hard to notice. Right. I yeah. think there's probably been like a couple of men in my career who have noticed an interaction with a dude that I've had and they've been like, huh, he really treated me differently. And they've noticed that it was his behavior. But I think for a lot of men, what you see is this reaction, which is, well, what did you do to deserve it? Because right. he was nice to me. Yeah, I believe that too. So, yeah, I mean, so one thing, like, just to come back to the, like, whole safety thing is that, you know, a few a few weeks ago, I got an email from a conference organizer, and they were like, oh, we're doing this thing, and, you know, would you put it in technically speaking? And, like, I knew that there was someone super problematic on their speaker lineup, and so we said no. We said, I'm sorry, we can't feature it because of one of your speakers. Um, but one thing that we decided was that we couldn't say what speaker it was and what they had done. Mm -hmm. And part of that was to protect the woman that they'd done it to. It's a hard position to be in. It's really hard. It's really, really hard because, you know, like we take it very seriously. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by your demographic data, by the way, like we think. My anecdotal <laughs> demographic data. It was not where I expected it to go. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so our demographics, we think it's kind of at least 50% women. And there's some kind of interesting stuff about how people respond to the newsletter and how that changed after a code of conduct thing last year. Um, which we should talk about. Maybe maybe your listeners would find it fascinating. Sure, yeah. Um, so we take it really seriously that people trust us, that if something goes in there, we have some like reasonable expectation that it's a good event um, and that it's going to be a safe event. But it's a lot of responsibility. It it's is terrifying. <laughs> I bet it is. I don't blame yeah. you. Um, so, okay, well, let's talk about demographics a little bit. Actually, no, before we do that, I do want to mention um, that one of my fairly close friends um, has done some public speaking in the past. And this is more like for for audience reference, because I'm sure that you're probably aware of it, but I want to make sure I say it. So one of my friends, and I won't name names or say anything um, because I didn't ask them if it was okay if I spoke about this recently published a blog post about how they were not going to do any speaking this year. I feel like I read that blog post and I think it was amazing. You, you possibly did. Yeah. Because they were, they are transgender. They feel unsafe, unsafe going to events. Um, they have worked with at events where they have spoken, they have worked with the organizers to develop codes of conduct. And that's kind of like an undue burden on them. And, you know, just kind of this laundry list of things like they don't they don't feel necessarily safe flying because the TSA um, is <laughs> pretty freaking awful when it comes to transgender education and treatment. And so like there there's like this whole whole long list of reasons why. So I, I think it's just important to acknowledge that like Kate and I have, if it's okay, I'll speak for you. 
I'm Kate and I have framed this as important for women, but it really is more than important for just cisgender women. It's important for members of the LGBTQ community just as much and people of color in in any marginalized demographic. I think just plenty of like decent cis white men don't want to experience this stuff either. Yes, also very true. They feel pretty uncomfortable when someone says something inappropriate on stage. It's just they don't feel threatened, I think, is perhaps... Um, And yeah, I mean, I think that's totally true. And I think it's in general a problem with the way that we talk about diversity and inclusivity in tech is that we do focus on women. We do focus on like cis white women. Yep. um, And that's a problem. And I think part of the reason why that problem arises is because like the numbers for women are really bad. Like, do not get me wrong, but we at least have enough women that we have some data. Yeah. And we have, um, I think it's also, I think there are a couple of other things too. One, it's really easy to talk about women. It's harder. Our language has not evolved to a point where it's really easy to talk about, um, necessarily other, other marginalized demographics as much like, um, talking to people about transgender issues can be really awful. Um, yeah. Just like for for a myriad of reasons that I don't even want to get into. But like it's easy to talk about women in tech versus like, hey, everybody but a cisgender white guy, because that that also a cisgender straight white guy, because that puts that also puts people on the defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole wives and daughter thing as well. Yep. By that the way, was my other point. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So so we, you know, uh, and I speak as a cisgender straight white woman, like I definitely have that going for me. I definitely have that privilege. So, so yeah, so you're totally right. And there's a bunch of kind of financial stuff that comes into that too. And this is why we like always highlight speaker travel costs, right? Women make, you know, like for, for technical women, you're lucky because you get two jobs, you get whatever your actual job is and you get the second job of being a woman but Mm -hmm. you only get paid for 88% of the first one but like those numbers are even worse for women of color like for trans people especially in the U.S. where just like the health insurance system I don't think I want to understand it as far as I understand (laughs) they're trying to kill off Americans Um, (laughs) it feels that way sometimes (laughs) Right. And so you have all these things, you have an existing pay gap, and then that pay gap gets compounded by this like structural inequality, especially around health insurance and stuff like that. And so, you know, kind of, can you afford to like fly your own way to a conference on a tech salary? It's like, well, you know what, like not all people, not all tech salaries. Yeah, this is actually uh, a problem that I've had with one I don't want to call them out specifically because I need to email them, but there was, there is a tech conference, um, in a fairly diverse city and they've kind of nodded at, yes, we realize that there are some, there are some problems surrounding, um, equality in tech and we want to do something about it, which I think is great. And their solution has been to, um, create a one day series of workshops on kind of helping things be more inclusive, which again, I think is great. Um, but they're not paying people. They're not paying for travel costs. They're not paying for accommodations. So they're pulling from, while a diverse city, um, a single city of people who like, you know, not everybody's rich, but it's a fairly booming tech city. And so 
they're they're really limiting their pool of applicants and they're not even paying them for it. And they can go to the regular conference for half off the ticket cost, but they don't even get admission to the regular conference for for all of the work of putting together a one hour workshop. I mean, I just wouldn't agree to that. Would you yeah. agree to that? No, like, I absolutely no. wouldn't. Um, but you know who does agree to that? People at like large tech companies when mm-hmm. that large tech company views it as a recruiting exercise. I, uh, I kind of want to, I'm like preparing mentally to write a blog post about the trouble with diversity events. Um, because I think it ties back to just the general economics of diversity in general, mm-hmm. right? Which is it's seen as this thing that you should just do for the greater good because it's clearly like the right thing to do. And so no one will actually pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so if inclusivity is like genuinely a competitive advantage, then improving diversity should be a viable business model. Yep. And yet it doesn't seem to be. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's putting again, you were talking about having the work of like actually your actual technical job and then having the work of being a woman or a person of color or a woman of color or, you know, Mm -hmm. a member of another marginalized community. And you have those two jobs. Plus they often want to add that third job about, well, why don't you help us get better for not more money? And it's, you know, and then who are they calling on people who frequently have families who have like other obligations. And so you want to take time away from their family. You don't want to compensate them. Like it's just all super problematic. Yeah. Like there's an argument that just says that we should just pay people who aren't white men more. Um, and I think that's totally fair, right? Like if you work in a mine, you get danger money. Um, and if you look at the like stress level that is induced by being a minority in tech, like it actually like causes like health problems, right? So I think you could make a case for that. But I think the main thing is that if you're going to ask people to do this stuff, you should give them some time back. Um, And so what you see a lot of, and, you know, when I worked at the conglomerate, this was me is, you know, spending a bunch of time on like diversity events and like they won't pay for admin help or they won't pay for a coordinator. They think it's thriftier to have an engineer do it, which only works because the engineer does it on top of their full-time job. Right. And so now like my boss is like an amazing human being. And one of the things he said to me the other week is he was like, I would sooner you write an awesome white men shut up post than deal with your calendar for an hour. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I have admin help, which like makes all of this stuff so much easier because like, you know, to record this podcast this evening, there's no back and forth. There's like, whatever. I just get some instructions. Um, You know, she tells me what I need to prepare and then I just show up. And it's amazing. Like one, the cognitive overhead that is removed on that. Um, and to the time overhead. Mm-hmm. And she's great. I, I props to her. She was amazing. And I wish I had an admin so that they could have emailed one another and she wouldn't <laughs> have had to wait for me to be like, oh, wait, yeah, I need to email her back. So um, <laughs> she was amazing just for the record. Yeah, she's actually in charge. I tell the engineers on my team. I'm like, really, really, Ariel is your boss because I do exactly what she's put on my calendar. Yeah, you need to you need to butter her up by her. <laughs> I don't know whatever her favorite things are. Buy her those so that you get preferential treatment. Right, but it's it's actually it's given me time back in a way that like I think I um, theoretically knew because I was always like, why don't we get admin help? If you actually care about like inclusivity, 
why are engineers spending their time on stuff that doesn't need to be done by engineers mm-hmm. like have engineers do the stuff that only engineers can do mm-hmm. so like maybe only I can show up and give a talk about this engineering thing at this like woman event but like there's a bunch of stuff around that that like doesn't need to be me right it's nice that you have that I'm glad yeah I mean I think just like I'm gonna give give any women in your audience some unsolicited advice like find a boss who really respects your time um and who thinks you're awesome yeah that's good advice for anyone but yeah especially <laughs> especially if you're in a space where you're kind of you know where I don't know we're showing up as activism or being in that space as right. activism. Definitely. So I, I like, I don't know if you know this about me, but I like quit the tech industry and I did not think that I would come back. Um, and I wrote this blog post like oh, a long time ago now. And it was called the day I leave the tech industry. And uh, like a lot of women read it and said, Oh, I feel like that too. And uh, some men seemed to read it and they said, Oh, it's really bad that women feel this way. Maybe we should do something about it. Um, And then I did actually leave, like I quit my job um, and I like, I like ran away. I uh, (laughs) I moved to Berlin really for a while. And then I spent some time in South America and stuff. And um, I didn't know that I would work in tech again. Like I just wasn't sure that I could do it anymore. Like just going, showing up every day and going into an environment where like, don't get me wrong, there were some decent people that I worked with but there were some not decent people, you know, and there were just a lot of people who they were just bystanders, right? So they would just watch stuff happen. And then at most they would be like, oh yeah, that wasn't cool. Yep. Maybe you should tell HR about that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. That's great advice. Maybe maybe you could tell HR about that. (laughs) Maybe. Um, and you know, so I, I did a bunch of things on my, my like year away. It's like one, I just like really connected with like, like I really love to make things. I really love to write code. I really love to be an engineer. And I think I kind of lost sight of that when, um, you know, have you seen that article that's been going around recently, which is like women's code is better. Oh, the GitHub study. Yeah. It's being spun in all these different ways. And I'm like, I just, I'm like, like, I don't need to read this article. Like, this was my life. Right. I had a guy write about my code reviews and made the first page of Hacker News. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know, I like, and, and so when like engineering just used to be very adversarial because everyone was having this like intellectual masturbation contest, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm smarter than you. I'm like proving myself. Like, it's just exhausting. Like, it's just not efficient. Even aside from like, it's upsetting, it's just inefficient. Right. Well, and it's, it's pointless, right? I, one of the things I love the most about my job now is that it's a really collaborative place where it's like, you know, you, you write your code, you push it to, you know, whatever Git service we're using. Um, We, we PR it. So we say, Hey, this is ready. Why don't other people look at it? And people look at it and say, yep, looks good. Or, Hey, maybe consider trying it this way. And it's never a competition. It's always like the attitude is always about how do we make this better for the people using our apps? How, you know, how do, how do we do that? How do we do this yeah. so that it doesn't bite us in the butt later? Like, and I love that. That's one of my favorite things. Cause I've witnessed that kind of adversarial, no, you know, 
puffing up of the chest and this is how it's going to be. And I know what I'm doing and you have no idea. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's pointless. It, nobody grows. The product doesn't get better. The back end doesn't get better. And you are all just like killing yourselves. It's just, why do people do that? I mean, the arguments are also never about the most important thing. Like everyone's arguing about you know, whatever. And no one notices the gorilla went across the basketball court or whatever it right. is. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, yeah. So, I mean, where I work now is not, it's not that kind of environment. And I, I think I have this theory, it comes from when like you take people who are very smart, you hire them and tell them how special they are. And then you set them doing fundamentally meaningless work um, where you are overstaffed and are operating in a zero sum environment. Mm-hmm. This is my like damning, damning summary of working <laughs> at the conglomerate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so one of the other things I did was I like was like, okay, if I'm going to go and work with men again, I like thought a lot about how do I rehabilitate myself so I can go back into this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of like, we talk a lot about why women leave, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the numbers and like, how do we get more women, whatever. And then maybe we go, oh, maybe we should hire some people of color as well. Um, right. But I, I, don't, yeah, I don't think we talk enough about what working in that kind of environment does to you. Right. Right. It's it, like you develop coping mechanisms, which are not helpful if you're actually working in a healthy environment, like coping mechanisms in a healthy environment are in fact harmful. Mm-hmm. So one thing I did to rehabilitate myself, and this kind of started as like a joke, and then it turned into this like whole project, uh, was I went looking to find 10 men in tech that I didn't hate. Okay. Um, so I think I'm actually up to like 16 now. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, but there was definitely a point when 10 seemed like a stretch goal. <laughs> but my boss actually was number six. And uh, he was coming through Bogota when I was coming through, when I was like hanging out in Bogota. And so I got to meet him. Um and yeah, so we had coffee and I'm like, huh, you seem like a decent human being. You got on my list. I can recommend some too. Like I I, I know a few who I really, really, <laughs> well, I mean, some of them I love. They're my friends. They're amazing. But I, I especially coming out of something so toxic, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's like learning to trust, right? Like, Right. And I think meeting new ones was really important. Yeah. It wasn't like I didn't already know some that I didn't hate, but kind of the more kind of bad things had happened, the more wary I was to like open myself up to new people. So, I mean, obviously your your boss is amazing, but were there other things that drew you back into tech? Um, so I kind of been doing my own thing and I had kind of found a way where I could see the path to making it sustainable. Uh, it wasn't there yet, but I like knew what I needed to change. I kind of figured out, um, what I could do to kind of contract, um, and kind of make enough money to, to go. And I I would say like being able to leave the tech industry was like a massive amount of financial privilege on my part. Mm -hmm. Um, much of which was to do with growing up and living in relatively socialist countries. So, and I I think I could just like, I could see what was supposed to be the dream of like the path that I was on. And I was like, you know what? I'm 30 years old. I will have one more go. And like two or three days later, I'm having lunch with the guy who is now my boss in New York. And I was like, how are you doing finding someone for this job? And like, I thought it was a really cool job. And I was like, you know, it was one of those moments where I was like, I wish I was qualified to do this job. And uh, he was like, oh, you know, it's not going so well yet. 
if you would move to Colombia? And I was like, of course I would move to Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, would you like think about it? And I was like, I mean, of course, but like, I think you can do better than me. Like, I don't think I'm qualified. <laughs> and so he was like, what? And Way to uh, talk yourself up, Kate. <laughs> I know, right? I made like all the mistakes. Um, but you know what? Like, I think, like, I think when we talk about how you're supposed to negotiate, how you're supposed to do things, it kind of um, assumes that you are in this kind of misogynistic adversarial environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I make a very clear distinction between when I'm playing the game that's on and when I'm playing a different game. Mm-hmm. And in this case, like this guy was playing a different game, you know, like I didn't need to kind of talk myself up to him because he knew who I was. He knew what he wanted. um, And he like had a very clear idea of where I would fit in the team and where I would help him with what he needed. And so the interview process for me was, was really coming to understand why he believed that I was a good fit. And when I was convinced too, um, you know, that, that was when we were like, okay, we're doing this. Well, that's really great to hear. Yeah. I'm just, you know what, I'm embracing this radical notion and I'm just like sharing it with every woman and like, you know, everyone who's not as this white, I think cis white dudes have known this for a while, but like you can have a boss who appreciates and values you. Like it's life-changing. Go and work with people that appreciate and value you. Um, and I, I'm like tremendously fortunate because like, obviously I have my boss in my actual job. I work with Glowforge and, you know, like I feel really appreciated and valued by them too. And, you know, Chuki and I have this like really strong, really amazing collaboration on Technically Speaking. That sounds amazing. It really does. It's life-changing. I bet. Every woman must experience this. <laughs> so let's, um, if you don't mind going back a little bit, um, let's talk about the demographics of your newsletter subscribers a little bit, because I'm I'm actually really interested, and I'm sure that um, my listeners would be too. Yeah, this like, I think we can tie this to that whole code of conduct story and how we accidentally became a diversity newsletter. So can I uh, just say that I remember seeing your names and thinking, oh, this is a newsletter about speaking from women. And so I was like, this is going to be relevant to my interests. If I had seen that and I had seen two traditionally masculine names on it, I probably would not have subscribed. And I'm wondering how much of that plays into um, what you're seeing. So I think like a good amount. Um, And so at first we had this secret feminist agenda. And I think women are not used to seeing content that considers them as first class consumers of it, unless it's specifically for women. And like the fitness magazine sense. Right. Yeah. But in a kind of like tech things end up not considering women. Like I wrote this reasonably popular blog post recently, which was called Advice for White Men. Um, And it was about all the stuff that I read where I'm like, ah, this is advice for white men. I don't know how much it applies to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of tech stuff just ends up falling into that category and women feel pretty often kind of excluded from it or they don't connect with it. And so when something is by women, it must be for women because that's, in general, what we appreciate, what we experience, right? The right. only stuff where we feel welcome in it is stuff that women are creating for each other. 
And so I think women pattern matched. And so we would hear things that were like, oh, thank you so much for everything you do for women. Or I love your newsletter about women in public speaking. And we were like, okay. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think we, we like, we really understood it, but sometimes you would get emails that was like, oh, we're running this course about fixing women. So maybe you can share it to your article of your like audience of women. And we were like, we're not in the business of fixing women. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> right. But meanwhile, men would just say, oh, I love your newsletter. Um, and I think one thing that was really interesting was that we did this webinar and, um, and it was essentially, it, it ended up being about harassment because this is what women are afraid of in a past post Gamergate world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we do this webinar that's focused on this question we've been getting from women. Um, and you know, I think we did actually target the webinar at women and we got some feedback that was like, yeah, I don't. And it was from a guy obviously. And he was like, I don't understand why you were talking about harassment. Uh-huh. It's like, is well, that generally applicable to your audience? And we're like, yeah, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it's kind of, um, I'm always amazed at responses like that. Um, I want to make a Tumblr, by the way, of like emails that men send to me. Oh, I bet that'd be really interesting. Yeah, but I feel like uh, it would make more men hate me. Privacy and privacy concerns. And yeah. It's, yeah. At some point that's going to be a risk factor, but sometimes I'm like, this email is for the Tumblr. Yeah. I, I can, I can imagine because I mean, just some of the, the things that some of the responses I get and some of the questions I get from people like of this audience, you know, they're, they're, um, obviously they're here to learn. Um, and you know, just like I am, I started this whole thing so I could learn. Um, yeah. I didn't have an agenda beyond that. I'm like, I need to know more about stuff. So let me talk to people about stuff and figure this out. So, you know, I've been figuring out a lot of things as I've gone through this process, but, you know, just kind of, you get little hints about like, okay, this person isn't as clued in as maybe they could be. And, how how are you missing all of these discussions that are happening about, you know, specifically women in tech and more generally, you know, like marginalization in tech? How are you missing all of this conversation? I, I think because they don't want to see it. You yeah. Know, in the same way that I don't watch the news. Although I was watching the news in the gym this morning, I think something happened in the military, but it was all in Spanish. So my understanding is pretty, is pretty shaky of what happened, but there was a lot of hugging and a man gave a long speech. Oh man, that's <laughs> never a good sign. Yeah. And everyone was dressed in, maybe it was the police. I don't know. I, uh, I exist in this like confused bubble living in a, <laughs> living in a Spanish speaking country. Um, because my Spanish is damn malo. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's a degree of willful ignorance. Right. And I, I think there's also just like if you truly confront the like systematic inequality um, of tech, which is a function of the systematic inequality of America, at least in the American tech scene, like it can really challenge your identity if you're you know, if you're like a white dude who's very caught up in like, oh, I'm good at my job, you know, I've been successful because I've worked really hard, and you look at the way the system was stacked against someone who is just as smart and works just as hard as you, because they were a woman, they were a person of color, and they were they grew up in a poor neighborhood, then I think you have to 
I think you can end up with this uncomfortable thought that you don't truly deserve what you feel like you've earned. Um, and I think part of that comes from if you take an abundance mindset, that does that isn't true, right? Because like there is a massive shortage of tech jobs, of tech workers for tech jobs. So it's not actually accurate. I think that you probably wouldn't have what you you feel like you've deserved in a more kind of egalitarian world. Um, but I think it, when people maybe have to confront the idea that that maybe they don't deserve it as much as they think they do, that that's a very uncomfortable place to be. Oh yeah. And I'm like, I'm very sympathetic to that, like uncomfortable feeling, right? Like it's like a, you know, a white, white woman who grew up in a, you know, a country with healthcare, um, <laughs> who's, you know, like has two professional working parents, you know, and didn't graduate university with a bunch of debt. Like I've had to confront those feelings too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they are hard, but you don't, that doesn't mean that you should take them out on the people around you. Yeah. And I've definitely experienced that too. Like, you know, I, I definitely have privilege that I've had to confront over the last year and a half. And sometimes even now I think about it and I'm like, that's really icky. And that makes me really uncomfortable. And it, it, like, I totally get it. I totally get it. But kind of getting mired down and simultaneously defensive about it isn't going to get anybody anywhere. Like it, it just doesn't, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do anyone else any good. Just stop. Stop. It's just so tiring. It I'm is. just, uh, I'm like, I'm having a permanent 404 worthless man feelings. Oh, <laughs> uh, the policy I take on it is like, um, you know, I didn't stab you and therefore I was very reasonable. Um, <laughs> But, but also I kind of have been there, like, I think I used to get a bit overwhelmed by like the stuff that I would get and the feelings that men would have at me. And so now I just try and embrace this idea that's like, I don't have to respond. I may sometimes choose to respond. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, I'm being very nice. Mm-hmm. And it's empowering, right? Like to realize that I think anyway, that I think reframing in general is very very empowering like when you frame it as a choice rather than an obligation that's super important but yeah so demographics (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so we we kind of like got by for like I think kind of a year on this this thing where like a lot of women thought we were a diversity newsletter and most men hadn't realized and then uh, I pulled out of a conference because the organizer refused to implement a proper code of conduct. I believe you wrote a blog post about that, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't just me. It was also another woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I swear that guy was like proud that he'd pulled this out. He was like, I was like, I could have just implemented a code of conduct, but I decided to be thoughtful and like challenge these notions of codes of conduct. Um, and so, you know, I, now I like, I'm being penalized for it kind of thing. Ugh. And I'm like, I don't know if you were going to like build a rocket ship, would you, would you challenge the laws of physics as well? You know, like, well, it's, it's, I think the best analogy I've been able to come up with is that we have laws against homicide right? Like you are not supposed to kill another person. This has been a law for forever. Like civilized society has always had laws against murder. And it doesn't mean that murders don't happen. It doesn't matter, mean that like investigations don't get botched, but we still have the law 
and we have due process, at least in the United States, like and, and these things are in place, not because they prevent people from killing, although I think they do to an extent, but because as a society, we have rules and as yeah. a community, as a tech community, we have rules and we tell people what those rules are because, yeah, they should be able, we should be able to infer that harassment is not okay. It's not okay to touch a person without permission. It's not okay to make lewd comments or suggestive jokes or whatever, you know, those things are. Like, some people just don't get that. And so we tell them so they know. And then if they decide to break that, they know there are consequences. Yeah, I think... So I agree with you, but I think there's this idea that like questioning is inherently good and that it's framed as like, but this is a value in tech that we question everything. And it's like, yep. But when you start a new engineering project, you don't also decide to invent a new engineering methodology. Right. When you want to build a new product, you don't say, and I'm also going to build an entirely new testing framework. Right. right. Like these are, you know, this is the kind of thing that results in your like project failing and never shipping. And like, yes, some people make the decision to like reinvent things that are like not don't need to be reinvented. Like I've worked on those projects and, you know, it shipped kind of eight months late and then got killed. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it happened in exactly the way that you would expect it to. But this idea that like questioning is inherently good, like there's plenty of things that we accept as true. Yep. I totally agree with that. Yeah, so it's, um, I like was very deliberate not to name and shame, right? Like, and I think this is a really hard thing that people have to decide in these situations because if you name and shame, then people are like, oh, is it really productive to name and shame? Um, and there's definitely a factor of like perceived internet fame, mm-hmm. right? As to like, are you punching up if you have 10 times as many followers as the person that you're criticizing? Right. Um, and then if you don't name and shame, then you get, well, Why are, are you, you just making it up? Ah. Yeah. You know, like if it was true, you would, you wouldn't, you would say who they are. Um, and so I like very deliberately decided I am not going to name and shame, but this guy was like, basically it felt like he was bragging about it. And so he had been so public about this that, you know, I got kind of both kinds of heat. I got heat like I had named and shamed and I got heat like I had it. Um, but yeah, so I pulled out, this other woman pulled out um, and, you know, I, I helped her uh, get another speaking gig. Um, and we actually both spoke at that conference. So that kind of one one conference organizer's loss was another conference organizer's gain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I really just tried to forget it. Um, but then when the conference was happening, it was actually when I was in Colombia interviewing. So I was doing 21 one-on-ones in three days. And so this nonsense barely even made my radar of things to worry about. But the conference organizer did this like hollow at all the ladies that aren't here for like assorted reasons. Um, yeah. And so that was how I read his tweet. Like it was not like I'm paraphrasing. And I was just like... And and so I just subtweeted, I was like, look, if I pull out of your event, because like, we can't agree on a code of conduct, it kind of means that I don't want to be associated with it. Um, And I I think as part of that, when I'd agreed to speak, I had known other people that were speaking, and I'd assumed that there was a code of conduct, which is like, absolutely my bad. 
Um, but I think people should look, be able to look at places where I'm speaking and because of all the stuff that I've done and, and make that assumption and be safe about it. I do that too. Just, yeah, I, um, I always check for codes of conduct. It just, yeah. So, yeah, so here does this. And I was just like, oh, my God. And, and then I remember, like, I did, like, two tweets. I, don't, I was just like, don't associate me with your foot if I pull out because of safety concerns. Like, it's just not. Um, and then, I, like, my third tweet was like, I could rant about this more, but I'm going to go and be awesome instead. So I went <laughs> off. I did 11 one-on-ones <laughs> with nice. my now colleagues. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, kind of more, more stuff happened. That guy felt attacked. You know, the other woman who had pulled out responded in her way. I really support her response. Um, and then some more stuff happened. Um, and I think there's a couple of things like to go back to like the start of the conversation, like, you know, people who talk good game, but they let their bow slide. Mm-hmm. There were plenty of people that like talked good game, but they would, they were there. Right. And, uh, you know, someone said to me recently, it's like, Oh yeah, I think that guy's a good, a good guy. Really. He was just overwhelmed. I mean, we're going to need to like disagree to disagree on that one. Yeah. And also I never want to speak. This again. <laughs> and it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. Your actions are what matter. Not. Right. I mean, exactly. <sighs> um, and so there were a lot of people who, I would have expected better from who were quiet about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think what the conference organizer tweeted was clearly inappropriate. Um, I think some of the stuff that happened afterwards, um, like, I think, and so I was I was always kind of reasonably quiet about part of the reason, if it had just been me, I probably would have been like, look, Sorry, I'm like trying to think of words that aren't expletives. Um, you, we can bleep them out too. That's a, <laughs> that's a thing that happens a lot here. Um, I just, you know, I would have been like, this and like, here's the email fed. Right. Um, but there was another woman, not the woman who pulled out, like a, another woman who would have been affected if I had made that decision. And I would never, I wouldn't have wanted this to come back on her. Yeah. Um, and so... Like, you know, you think it's over and then stuff happened. Uh, someone did something about me that I, I think was was pretty vicious. Uh, but what they did about this woman that I've been protecting all along was really vicious, really vicious. Um, and, uh, you know, I like, I, I locked my Twitter down. Um, you know, I just had a pretty stressful week. Um and then, you know, when the next thing happened, I, I'd had this like really bad feeling and I thought it was just in my head. Um, and I deactivated my Twitter account, but I still have my secret Twitter account. And so I was just like, I'm just retweeting here. Cause like, I just can't. And one of my friends thought I knew. And so she was like, yep, this follow-up is even worse. Oh, and no. I was like, yeah. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, the good news is that the bad feeling was not all in my head right. and I'm not going mad. <laughs> and uh, the bad news is that, you know, um, so yeah, so I published this blog post that was just like, this is what's happened. And I have made these decisions to not speak um, and that 
part of that's like privilege, right? Like if I don't speak at some event because we can't agree on a code of conduct, like it's really at this point, no loss for me. Right. Um, and you know, I know there's other people that are not in that situation, right? They're just getting started. They feel like they need to make these compromises. And so if that's, if that's what they feel they need to do, like, I'm not going to judge them. Um, but I, I think there's plenty of people who have the level of privilege that I have that aren't doing anything with it. Um, and so one thing that I clearly called out was that there is this cycle of people screw up and other people donate to some kind of cause and then we just go around again. Yep. Um, and I, I really, I hate that. And so I was like, you know, if you want to support me, if you want to like do something about this, then like support a product that is made by like a diverse person in tech. Um, and before, before this happened, we were booking out for technically speaking sponsorship, um, like approaching two months in advance, like six weeks or so. And uh, after this, like that blog post, people just like shared it and shared it and shared it and shared it. Um, but people stopped sponsoring us. And we, I think that was the point where we started to become like a diversity newsletter. Um, and this was not like a deliberate choice, mm-hmm. right? This was like a moral choice. Um, and, you know, things are starting to pick up again now, like with our sponsorships doing better. But there was this horrible point where, I was like, did I kill our project by taking a moral stance on this? That's awful. But I mean, I think like we have to talk about like the economics of diversity. We do. Right? Because if so, like one, I just believe that women need to talk about money more, maybe not publicly, but, <laughs> but like at least to each other. Um, but two, like everyone's talking about diversity, but no one wants to pay for it. Yep. I agree. Um, and once something is a diversity project, it is seen as less valuable. Yep. Um, and, you know, this this whole thing that's just for the collective, right? This idea that when women do stuff for the collective, it's just not valued. But if they don't do it, then they're punished. And it used to be this just happened at work, but now I feel like it happens in the community as well. Yeah, it's... Um... And it's hard and it's exhausting and, um, it's, it's, it's frustrating because the expectation there is that women or other marginalized people are going to show up and like take care of the problem, but we can't like we're in the minority. We, we can't take care of the problem. We can help you go in the right direction, but if the majority isn't acting then it's not going to go anywhere right i i just i think the numbers are not going to change until the economics change right so we can talk about whatever we want to talk about right and we can do these like community projects but until people start paying and promoting equitably nothing's going to change yeah so how do we end this on a happy note (laughs) I mean, I think things are, things are, things are better since then. And I am just kind of at this point, you know, like man feelings for, for not found. Um, <laughs> um, I, I do have like some amount of hope. I just like, I just feel like it's necessary to do some kind of real talk about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I think we see a lot of 
Like there's this assumption that if you're visible, it's somehow valuable. And that depends very much what you are visible for. Yep. And it's really not as valuable as people think it is. I say but people, I mean, I think straight white men think that, you know, whatever Twitter followers translate into value. But like this is absolutely not true. Yeah. And especially not for women. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it just, it comes with this risk factor, right? Like people have been doing some really creepy things to me, right? Like I'm not experiencing Brianna Wu levels of harassment, but like I get enough stuff that, you know, I don't tell people where I'm going to be going unless there's a good reason for it. You know, like to be on my Foursquare friends list is like, you know, I've got to trust that if someone says, hey, where's Kate? You won't just volunteer the information, right? Like I take these levels of precautions that I think are like completely rational. Um, And like, I am like relatively low profile and experience a relatively low amount of harassment. Yeah, I think um, I do too. Um, And, but, but I'm always waiting for the shoe to drop. We were, I was having this conversation with some friends this morning, like, Since I started this podcast, I have been waiting for the shoe to drop and for the harassment to start. Yeah. And I get, I mean, I get a lot of mansplaining. Um, You know, I tweeted the other day about like Adobe deleting, uh, Adobe Creative Cloud is like randomly deleting hidden folders from the root of people's hard drives. This is why I don't want to use Adobe's products. And people are like, well, it's better than blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, they're deleting things from the root of people's hard drives. This is not okay. And a ton of guys telling me why, like, why I was wrong. And this morning, someone was like, can you, by the way, imagine having the time to go around to random people on the internet and tell them that they're wrong when they have no interest in hearing you? Right. Like, I just cannot imagine having the hours in the day to do that. Yeah. And I mean, some of these people were my friends, they're podcast listeners, they're well-intentioned, you know, and that's fine. I get that. But it was like, like people doing Twitter searches for Adobe and then like telling me. And I was like, wait, this is weird. Why? Why do you care that much? Is Adobe paying you to like be mean to me? I don't understand what's happening right now. It's very bizarre. And that's, you know, I have not even 1200 Twitter followers. It's not like I'm, I'm like a high profile person anywhere. It's it's just weird. It's just weird. Yeah. I made a lot of people angry recently. I was just like ranting about categories and Objective-C. Uh-oh. So I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm going to... Anyway, it was, it's just, I very rarely have like the energy for that kind of argument. Like it makes me much more reticent yeah. to write technical posts because I know that someone is going to explain it me. But I lose followers when I tweet about my period. So I don't know, like it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think the kind of hope that I have, like, because we wanted to end on a positive note, um, is that the same hope that I have always had which is that um, we have each other, right? And I think like 2014 was this year where I really lost hope in men. Um, And 2015 was, I went looking for men to rebuild it. Um, And 2015, I I watched some, some things that I saw, like particularly, like that I saw women do to other women. And I would say particularly white women to women of color. 
Um, and I started to like lose faith in the sisterhood, you know, because I used to feel like even when stuff was bad, like the the level of support I got from other women and the way I watched women look out for the, for each other gave me a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this year is the year that I'm trying to kind of get that back and to just be more more mindful about, yeah, I kind of want to say who my friends are, but like, you know, to, to just not, like, I believe in shine theory. I don't believe in many things, but I believe in shine theory, which is that if you have awesome friends and they do awesome things, then this only makes you more awesome. Mm-hmm. And so to really like invest in my like shine theory circle. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, which, by the way, I consider to be all our technically speaking readers. So you're like, <laughs> it's like an early reader. You are like core shine theory, uh, nice. shine theory that, circle. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> but but this idea that, you know, the more like awesome any of us are, the more that helps the rest of us, right? Like there has been too much zero-sum competition. Mm-hmm. I do not play zero-sum competitions anymore. Um, I don't play them at work because now I have a good job Um, and I don't play them in the community either. And so I'm just like cheering for all the like amazing people I know who mostly happen to not be white men. Um, And, you know, a bunch of them are cheering for me in return. And I think that's amazing. Yep. And the world only gets better, right? Not, not if you're, not if Trump gets elected. Well, okay. (laughs) Granted, granted, we were ending like, on a, a happy note. Sorry, when Americans misspell Colombia, you know, Colombians, like, it bothers them. And I'm like, if you want revenge, just say future President Trump. Yo. <laughs> it's Colombia with an O. I was going to say, Colombia does not have a U in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Kate, I've had such a great time talking to you. Um, why don't you tell the listeners how they can find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kate HSTN, C-A-T-E-H-S-T-N on Twitter. Um, I have a blog. It's called Accidentally Encode. Um, you can, of course, find me at Technically Speaking. Um, and uh, I, uh, my 2016 kind of special project is to send a letter from every place I leave. And so you can find that at wherethehellisKate.com. Oh, nice. Well, subscribe to Technically Speaking, people, if you're even slightly interested in doing any public speaking. And if you run, if you run a conference, you should probably invite Aline to come and speak because <laughs> I think she would be great. Oh, I'll rant. I'll do so many rantings. <laughs> <laughs> you can find the show on Twitter. That is a goal. I'm, I'm going to do my little outro in a second, but that is a goal is for to submit at least submit to at least one conference this year at least one you would be amazing i will help you send me your abstracts okay thank you um so you can find the show on twitter at less than or equal if you have feedback suggestions for guests or would like to be a guest please go to relay.fm forward slash l-t-o-e and fill out the contact form if you have a few minutes it would be wonderful if you'd leave a review or a star rating on itunes this is how people find the show and know that it's good and we haven't had a review since november so somebody somebody um leave a review and i'll send you a sticker or something if you want just let me know thanks for listening Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.